0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode 84 of the podcast. I get to sit down with speaker, pastor, and uh, really just a healer, Pastor Mamie Johnson. Mamie uh, lives in the Ohio area, and we both have some connections through United Theological Seminary. But more than that, she is a voice of someone who wants to get rid of the seeds of disorder of your life. We sit down, we talk about her new book, we talk about the work that she does, we talk about how uh, believe, trust, how faith, and how prayer has been so huge in her work. Uh, how, to, how to make your mess your message. Such an uplifting and exciting episode. I know you're going to love Mamie. She's got, uh, she's got such a soul about her that people are just drawn to her. And I immediately sensed it. the Holy Spirit is just really active and working inside of her. If you loved the episode, the best thing that you can do for us is leave a rating or review on iTunes. We really are trying to get to 100 reviews by the end of the year. We're just about at 50, so we're halfway there. I'm not sure we're gonna make it, but you can help. You can be a part of the Reclamation community. Leave a rating or review. My team reads every one of them. So without any further ado, Here's my conversation with Pastor Mamie Johnson. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to bring here, to be here today with the CEO, nonprofit, Pastor Chaplin, and uh really just an amazing human, Mamie Johnson. Mamie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today.
1: And thank you, Tony, for Pastor Tony, for inviting me to be here. I'm I'm really humbled and I'm honored.
0: Well, you know what? Um, you you've got a brand new resource out called um Caught in the undertow, and it's all about panic and depression, and 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 about how to how to lean into God's rescue for that. And we are recording this the day after one of the most anxiety-inducing days, and we don't even know who the president's going to be yet. But but in the world that we live in today, this cannot be more of a timely resource. So I, I kind of want to start there. What, how did you get to a place where you're like, yep? God wants me to work on this next resource. And it's going to be about uh, anxiety, depression, and panic.
1: You know, it's interesting. The Lord gave me this um, impetus to write this book over a year ago.
2: Mm. Before
1: we even knew about, you know, uh, pandemics or anything like that. And I thought, well, why do I really want to write about this book? And I I really didn't because then that meant, meant I had to be vulnerable and open myself up to the thing, experiencing all of these.
2: Yeah,
1: um, a lot of people don't like to talk about it because it makes them feel uh, frail or um, less than uh, you know normal. So someone needs to know that they don't have to succumb to these maladies of the mind and. Um, so I wrote it because he led me to write and it was just really weird. I, it brought me back to some memories I had of things that I went through when I suffered from all three of them. Yeah, And it's very difficult to talk about things of the mind when you feel like you're out of sorts and a lot of people avoid it. However, one of the things I've learned in ministry and ministering to others is that we are more than physical beings. Mm. We, are, we are meant, we are psychological, we are spiritual beings. And when we don't address all three of those, something becomes disjointed and they all need to be addressed. So when the Lord led me to write it, one of the things I did was I took down my walls. Uh, I, b- I believe it was Bren Brown. She did a um, TED talk on being vulnerable. Yeah. And that really spoke to me. And, and And I heard that message a year ago. And I think that probably combined with God pushing me to write about this, it said, okay, you can you can take down that wall and you can open yourself up to help others. Because we know in ministry, our whole objective is to bring Christ to another's world and that they get salvation as a result of that, or that they receive salvation, meaning they accept Christ as their Lord.
0: No, I love that. And, and as I was looking at your writing, one of the things I was really struck by was your vulnerability. One of the things that you talk about uh, our uh, genograms and your upbringing. And I, w- I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about one. Uh, I'm a big genogram fan. I had a chaplain in the army introduce it to me, but I, I was wondering if you might share a little bit about what that is for the listeners and kind of the aha moment that you had as you started doing some of that important self-work.
1: You know, it's interesting when I heard the word genogram, and if people read that first, they probably won't read the book. It says, why, why is she u- using 20 letter words? <laughs> It's really helpful because um, I'm a facilitator at uh, United Theological Seminary, and that was an exercise that the students were doing. And most of my students are incoming pastors. So I get to speak into those. In the hey, I'm a
0: United alum. Let's go.
1: <laughs> I keep fighting trying to go back and get my doctorate. You
0: should you know, go. Come on. Let's go. <laughs>
1: That's a whole other story. We
0: can go together.
1: <laughs> we'll talk about that. How's that after oh, the podcast? Deal, deal. <laughs> As long as we could be partners and share whatever our thesis is going to (laughs) be. But um, when I was introduced to it, it was intriguing to me because I thought, here I am supposed to be facilitating the students as they're moving through to become leaders in the church. Mm. And now I'm examining my own self and what I'm feeling about all of that. So after it was introduced, I went home and I sat down and I thought, there's something in here for me. And again, remember, this was before God was prompting me to write this book. So a genogram, for those who may not understand what it is, it's similar to a family tree. However, what you're also doing is examining the characteristics of those individuals. Because what happens is, and if we look back, what happens is the people that we're around, our environment, Mm. they influence what we become. And we can see that through the news every day of individuals who suffered from difficult things. And I remember a young man I had in vacation Bible school one time. And everybody thought he was so mean and so awful. And he really was mean. But with me, whenever I would talk, they would sit and wait for me. And um, they, the, the members of the church, the leaders would say, why do they wait for you? And I made them a promise, if they listened to me, I would listen to them. But I think of this young man, because now this man is, I think he's on death row, but he's in, he's, he's been incarcerated for a number of years. Wow. But in court, it, when it was on the news, in court, he, he basically says out loud, he said, I'm evil. I watch my... My father raped my mother and my sisters, and so you think of that and you think of characteristics that help shape us, this is what he saw. So when I speak of genogram and I hate to give that story because it sounds so awful, but it is the good and the bad that influence what we become. yeah and so for me, I was able to go back and you go we usually we say go back as far as your grandparents and if you can go back a little further if you have some memory of that, then do that. But we say go back at least those two generations from parents to grandparents and identify who they are and what were the patterns. So some went through and they saw it and they saw divorce was a significant pattern in their life. I recently um, counseled a young couple thinking of getting married and I had them do that as an exercise. And one of the things that they both saw was they both came from homes of divorce or abandonment.
0: I always always make my premarital couple Counseling couples do genograms because you you physically have to draw it out. You draw out the relationships and then you connect the lines to the idea. And so you were doing that with this couple. What'd they see?
1: It's funny because it's, it evoked a lot of emotion, especially I was surprised from the uh the male part of that, that the the potential or the fiance, because he erupted in tears hmm. because he realized the environment that he grew up in left him feeling alone and abandoned, which played out into his relationships. The reason that was important, because now the woman he's thinking of marrying, she's aware that he has this this void in his life. Can she feel it? No, I don't think any person can feel that nature or spirituality in us. We have to connect with the the creator for that. So um, I think genograms are amazing. When you list all the characteristics of the individuals that are um, a part of your life, And then there's another part, and I don't think the genogram addresses that necessarily, but in my book, or I call that a study guide more than a book, one of the things I noticed is that the environment also plays a part of that. Hmm. Because as I looked at the individuals, I went back and said, okay, here I am, an African American female, but my parents, I looked at them, they were born in the 30s, so they're born through the Depression, okay? And And they lived in the South. Okay, so we know back then that African Americans, if there were job opportunities, usually the other, uh, the Caucasian would get the job and African Americans would not. So my parents then moved north. They're moving north in the 50s. This is when Emmett Till is being killed. You've got racial rights, you got Vietnam War, and we're being raised with parents and to go through that whole—it's it's in the, in the book—but if you to go through that whole certain scenario of a mother who was abandoned, a father whose mother died at thirteen, taking on a child, taking on children she didn't want to take care of, and then a father then who suffers from alcoholism and a mother who has chronic illness—all those things make up who I am. And as much as we try to escape it, and we can say that, oh, that was the past; it has no hold on me. It really, really does. It influences our work environment. It influences our families, the ones we try to start. And it influences our interactions with others in the world.
0: Now, I think that's that's really important. And I, I'm interested because your genogram revealed quite a bit. And it, a lot of it is kind of the catalytic. Uh, I, I don't know if it was the catalytic awakening for the book, but it, it certainly spawned a good section of the book. Um, what what was the big aha moment for you as you looked at this geneogram? it You know, you were supposed to be facilitating and all of a sudden seemingly God hit you with a ton of bricks. What what did you learn about yourself?
1: What I learned was one, I'm a pretty tough cookie, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned that I didn't have to succumb to all of that. But it was through very difficult times that it it became a realization because when I look back at it, I, here's the other thing I learned: my parents actually did the best they could.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: They, you know, they they what they didn't know, they didn't know. But I was often criticized or ostracized by my family because I wanted to be different, and because I kept pursuing being different. And so, even when I um, would visit home, I would find myself shirking back with either conversation or anything because I didn't want them to feel small. But the really aha moment, if, if I were to look at that whole um, understanding was there is a reason that I went through all of that. It, it really, it was the seed. It helped me to identify why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Because when I would have panic attacks, I never I never said told anyone. I, I never addressed it until this book. Um, and I didn't tell anyone because it felt strange. It's like... know there's nothing going on why are you freaking out and really for me it was like death it Mm. was i felt like i was dying and i couldn't figure out why and i would go lock myself in the restroom at work or uh if i'm in my car i'm like looking around and i had my son in the car one time to the point i actually thought of of suicide and it was the craziest thing and you know upon visiting a friend I, i went to her house instead of doing something catastrophic and one of the things she said was, why don't you have a cup of tea? <laughs> tea will not resolve those kinds of things, but it woke me up for a moment. Mm. So you, you really don't like to talk about it. But then when you do, there's such a freedom in it. You know, I, there's an interesting thing, too. I, uh, a young woman um, Saturday sent me an instant message and said she bought the book. She read it. She said, first of all, I couldn't write you on Facebook because I was embarrassed. Oh, wow. Why should we be embarrassed if we are experiencing a, a difficulty or illness or, you know, unrest? We shouldn't feel guilty about that. And so she sent me a private message. She read it. She went through it. And really, you really shouldn't read it that fast. You should really ask the questions at the end of the chapter. That's yeah, like right. you
0: said, it's more, it, it really is more of a workbook than it is anything else.
1: Right. And she said it, it opened up. It helped her understand some things about herself she did not realize. And to me, what that says is now she can walk toward her healing. Because another thing I say about the book is in the book, do not negate psychologists and psychiatrists. Right. God gave them the gift. Use them. That's why they're there. They have much more, you know, they have more skills than we do as pastors. Sure. As pastors, we can speak to that spiritual nature and say, you know what, we get it. And when you get to a, a place where you're counseling someone and you know when you're out of your league, when depending on the conversation and the behaviors, you're like, you know what, I can help you here, but you need a little more help. They may need a pill. They need right. to take something to calm themselves down. And we as as leaders in the church, I'm, I really feel like we need to talk about mental illness a lot more uh, because it's a, it's a free space. Because people come to your church because they're coming to hear you. And they're coming to hear you because they believe you're hearing from God. Right. And if that's the case, think of the impact our leaders and our church leaders and pastors could have if they openly said, you know what? I've suffered from anxiety. Here's what I did. I may not have suffered from depression, but I understand where you are. Here in the Bible, let me tell you about Elijah's depression. Let me tell you about Dinah and her panic. Let me tell you about Tamar. I mean, let me tell you about these individuals. But now don't just wallow in misery. You don't have to stay there. You can keep moving. You know, yeah, man, it, sure. so it's I just
0: go on and on. So I'm trying to back down. <laughs> no, it's good. Yeah, it's, it's fire. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I, I mean, I guess one of the questions that I have is uh, s- seemingly more and more people are talking about their their mental disorders or their, their emotional or psychological health. And yet it is still seen as one of these giant, shameful uh, things. So two questions. The first one is, why do you think people still look at it that way? And, and what do we have to do as the church, and not just pastors, but even the laity? Like, what do we have to do to lift the stigma around mental health?
1: I think we need to talk about it more. Mm. One of the things I uh, quote and cite in there is NAMI, which is National Association for Mental Illness. Sure. Over 18 million people in the United States suffers from some form of mental illness. Think of that, 18 million people. I think awareness is key. Making people or helping people to understand you are not alone. And I think society has made it a stigma or labeled it negatively, when in fact, it is a part of, unfortunately, 18 plus million people's human experience. Hmm. So I think we make it um, a top or relevant or a subject that's relative to being human, because think of all the situations you face in life. I mean, yeah. you're military, uh, and coming from a military environment, there had to be a level of anxiety at one point, you know? How do you get through for, that?
0: For a whole year. I, I mean, for a whole year that we, we lived in a world of stress and anxiety, right? And, right. and, and it was, everything and they, just got turned up to a 10.
1: And then they pluck you back in society and say, okay, now get back into, get back to work, get back to real life. How do you do that?
0: Well, it almost cost me my marriage, if I'm honest, right? Like, I mean, it was, I came back in such a bad place that there was nothing else in my life that could give me the adrenaline rush of being deployed. And so I was trying, you know, like purpose and identity and all of that was mixed in. And it wasn't until I got some really good counseling. And now I've been seeing the same psychologist for seven years, every uh, every three to five weeks, whether I need to or not. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. I call it my checkup from the neck up.
1: <laughs> I like that. I'm going to use it too. Good. Steal it. Think about that. How often have you talked about that even in your congregation?
0: Uh, I, I I mean, I'm fairly open about it. And I'm probably not as, uh, you know, it might be assumptive more than it is anything now. Because, you know, how sometimes you feel like you've preached on the same thing. I think if I tell my church I'm crazy one more time, they might actually, you know. <laughs>
1: they might believe you. Right. Yeah, right? <laughs> Just bringing it more to the light. Like when yeah. I uh, actually said it out loud, yeah, I lost some of its power, mm. you know? And then here's the other part. Sometimes when you start talking about it, you start experiencing some of those symptoms again. Yeah, you know, I too, I say, you know, use the psychologist, use the psychiatrist. I went to a psychologist for probably a year or two, and this was prior to my really I call born again experience, my real relationship with God. Yeah. I knew of God. I had been a church gore. I had, you know, been in choir, been in all the different organizations, taught Sunday school, but I knew God, but I didn't know God.
0: Mm, tell me more about that. I want to hear more about that.
1: My pastor used to say, you need to know that you know, that you know. And I never mm. used to understand what he's he was saying. And recently, and I wrote something in one of my daily devotions about. Uh, there was a gentleman in Matthew chapter 17 who had a son who um, have, was, was, was being um, ravaged uh, by this evil, I'll say, spirit. And he had gone to the, Jesus' disciples and said, asked them to heal him, and they couldn't do it. And so he went directly to Jesus, and Jesus you know, said, how, telling, how long do I have to dwell with you? And he spoke to the spirit and it came out of him. And afterwards, the disciples pulled him aside and said, why couldn't we do this? He said he was telling them because they had so little faith. Yeah. Here's the thing I got out of that. And the Lord revealed that to me this week. He said they had faith, but they didn't have faith in him.
0: Right.
1: They had to know Christ. And sometimes we have faith. We believe things will happen. But how much do we believe Jesus is the one that's doing it? Come and in, at Pentecost, when he left, he said, I'm going to send you another comforter. So we have the power within us. How do we draw from that? And how do we allow that to rise up? So in my born again experience, what ended up happening, I was going to the counselor. I was going to a gastroenterologist because some of my anxiety resulted in acid reflux. So there was physical symptoms associated with it. Sure.
0: And that's usually the case.
1: Oh yeah. And I was taking five, six, seven pills a day. I mean, and, and none of it worked, none of it. And I would go and I would be anxious. I would be sitting in the doctor's office. But then it was a New Year's Eve in 1990. And I just felt like if I could just go to, get up and go to church. And I mean, I was sick. I was in bed from July of 1990 to December of 1990. And I got to church because I hadn't been doing anything. Go to work, come home, go to bed, lost weight. It wasn't because I wasn't eating. It wasn't because I was, wasn't eating, it was stress. Yeah. And so I get to church and someone comes out of the choir, a friend, I had lost connection with. And she said, are you okay? And I remember saying, no, I'm not. And she said, but you will be. Mm. That right there was a seed that was planted for that very moment. And again, I had that voice saying, just get to church. And I didn't know what church was going to do because I was a church girl. So I get to church. She says that service goes, I can't even tell you what the sermon was or whatever. But then the pastor at the end of New Year's Eve service, he says, Anyone that wants to change their life or wants God to come into their life, come to the altar that altar call they have. Yeah, and so I went under the guise of my girlfriend, I took her hand because she needed Jesus, I didn't need him. And when I got there, I allowed myself to be vulnerable and I just kept feeling this sense of you've got to let go. And the way I say it is, I let go of her hand and I took God's hand. Mm. That moment that I was born again and it was that moment that my life changed forever. I went home from New Year's Eve service and I started reading healing scriptures. That's all I would read. I would just read through the scriptures, read through
0: now, the do, scriptures. do you already know those or did you have to Google them?
1: Uh, someone actually gave me a book that says that and they have the index and the part was for healing. And I opened it up to that. I don't know how long I had that book. I never looked at it, but I opened it up to that and just started reading through and reading through bias by his stripes, she are healed, you know, those kinds of things. And within a few weeks, I remember going back to the gastroenterologist and I'm sitting in his chair. He walks in because I've been seeing him every other week or every week. And it was a Jewish uh, uh, physician and practicing he sure. comes in and I'm get, I'm in his chair. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm in your chair. And I was so calm. I didn't realize how angst I was. And I was so calm. And he touched me. He says, you're okay. And I said, yeah, I am. I'm like, why is he surprised? But I guess I didn't realize how bad I was. You know, the older preachers used to say a wretch undone. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a wretch undone. And he said, what happened? And I said, Jesus, he said, I have had patients with much less severe symptoms as yours. And I've never had this kind of response or healing in my entire practice. And then he asked me, would I come back and help others? I said, let me figure it out first. (laughs)
0: Praise God. Right?
1: (laughs) In a few weeks, I went back to the psychologist. You know, one time she had tried to hypnotize me. I said, I'm not that girl. Uh -uh." Yeah. But anyway, I'm sitting with her. Her name was Susan. She said she wished she could follow me, but protocol based on their occupation, they can't become personal relationships like that. And she's sitting talking to me. And it's funny how people can, other people can tell you have issues. You can't even tell sometimes you have an issue. She looked at me and she said, you don't need me anymore. And I thought and I said, I actually don't. And we hugged and embraced. She said, God, I wish we could be friends and follow you. It's gonna be something, whatever God's doing with you. And she wasn't a Christian counselor. I don't even oh, wow. believed her. And so that was, that was the turning point for me, the really, <clears throat> I believe. Without a shadow of a doubt, that New Year's Eve, the faith in God was um, solidified. Solidified. So,
0: so, tell me about your anxiety today. Is it pretty much non-existent? What 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 are the disciplines that you do now to make sure that, uh, you know, I'm going to use this term to keep your monsters at bay? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, first of all, the reason I titled the book "God's Rescue." Yeah, I don't like when you go swimming you know, you can be a great swimmer, but if you got, if that undertow, it will snap you in. And so when I call it a rescue for, it's, it can happen again. Don't think just because, you know, one time you're cured and you will never be anxious again. Many things make, many things make us anxious. I have a schedule that is crazy. Sometimes the last two weeks have been unbelievable of trying to sort things out and get things done and meet deadlines and go to these mm-hmm. meetings. And I could feel myself because I think what happens is there's this connectivity with your mind, body, spirit. And in that connectivity, you can tell when you're getting out of sorts in writing this book and finishing this book, I felt anxiety coming back
2: <laughs> and I
1: feel my heart racing and I could feel the pulse rate just going up. And some of the things I do physically, one, I try to walk five days a week, at least three miles, 15 miles a week. I I do that religiously. Um, The other things I do when I'm walking, I'm meditative. I'm either listening to a sermon or I'm praying or just being quiet because I want to hear what God is saying to me. Uh, A gentleman at the uh, gym today stopped me and we were talking, he was talking about what was going on with the election and all of that. Um, And he said, I know you like to be quiet when you're walking, but he needed some spiritual guidance at that moment. And so the the things that helped me with my anxiety is the exercise, is reading my scriptures, is being quiet before God. And sometimes, and in the last few months in getting this done, I remember waking up in the middle of the night saying, you know, like that whole panic, like, you know, and you know, nothing's going on. And I put my hand over my heart and I just start praying and I go right back to sleep. Mm. Because I real, and I call that centering myself, realizing that. And I think what I had to realize, whether alive or dead, I'm with Christ because that's my relationship with him. And if I realize that, then nothing can overtake me that will frighten me to a point that I don't trust God. Mm. And I just trust him like that. And I, I, know, I know God is no respecter of persons. I know if everyone were to do that, to really, really connect with their whole self. You know, when God says in John 10, 10, that he came that we might have life and more mm. abundantly, that's what I look at. I'm, and when I get those anxious moments, I'm like, this is an abundant life, Lord. What do I need to do? And I'll pull away into my room. I'm glad we have a big, ha- bigger house where one can go upstairs and the other can go downstairs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, uh, l- let me ask you this. One of the questions that I always love to ask people is how do you hear it from God? Because I, I think oftentimes, and, and I've asked I've asked almost every guest I've I've had on that's that's had a word from the Lord, how how do you hear God? Because I think it's easy to confuse like the word of God with, you know, my own thoughts or even, you know, my Chipotle is always my go-to example, right? Like, you know, how how do you know that it's God when God's talking to you?
1: Okay, so the word says, and we throw scripture out all the time, right? Um, right. know my voice, and a stranger they won't follow. My whole Paul experience, I actually heard an audible voice.
0: Okay. It's
1: called- Did Jesus. it
0: sound like Morgan Freeman? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> no, okay. I just- well, More like, who is that um, field of dreams? What's his name? Uh, uh
0: Kevin, Co- oh, Earl Jones. James Earl Jones?
1: <laughs> might have been more like that. Yeah, James Earl right. Jones. No. Um, it really was, it was very, it's very nondescript. Mm. I was in my car. It was quiet. I like to be quiet, because I hear God better when I'm quiet. Mm. And that doesn't mean he's always audible. Sometimes it's inside. and And then it also goes to when you've spent time with him in prayer, reading your scriptures, you know, Attending services and all that, you begin to discern the the voice of God very easily. I could give you a number of situations where God has told me to do something, and I've done it, and it's been miraculous. I'll I'll give you an example in a second. But I know His voice because I've spent that time. And during that call, I'm in my car. It's quiet, and I'm thinking, you know, nothing. I'm really thinking nothing. And all of a sudden, this voice says, "I've called you to preach," and I'm like, "What is that?" You know, it's it's just really weird. And I'm thinking, hmm. And it didn't say anything else. It was quiet. Hmm. And I believe it was God waiting for me to ask questions. I said, women don't preach. It was the first thing I said, because that's what I've been taught. Sure. And the voice said nothing. And then I said, well, I'm a member of this church. And the pastor says, and he said, he's always said this, as long as I'm pastor of this church, no woman, these are his words, would don my pulpit. I didn't have a problem because I wasn't called to free, so there was no issue. And, it's, and I, this is me having a conversation out loud. <laughs> and finally, I said, okay, and I know, I believe God prompts us just to see where we are. And I finally said, okay, God, if this is you, then you change his mind. And I decided I won't tell anybody that I have this strange, who would believe me anyway, they think I was crazy. Right. Uh, and it was as if this spirit or whatever it was, it was God, left my heart. It was like I could feel this presence, but I couldn't see it, but I knew it was there. So I get to church. I couldn't even tell you. It was one evening. I could tell you all my Bethel moments exactly where I was. And I remember getting to church and thinking, what was that? And it stayed with me. I didn't hear any more from the voice or whatever. Within six weeks, the pastor gets up and says, God has been dealing with me, and I'm allowing women to accept their call to the ministry. this was a pastor who had been there for 25 years.
0: Oh, geez.
1: 25 years. And I'm thinking, whoa, wait a minute. And that voice says, you said you'd come. And so how I know God's voice is because I've spent that time with him. But also, I've seen it over time where he has um, encouraged me to do something. And I know the voice. And I do it. And the response is confirmed. So I'll give an example. A friend who was going through a divorce. We only talked every three or four months. We had just talked a week or two ago, so there was no reason for us to talk again because she was very private and she is private. And I'm sitting in the kitchen and washing dishes, and this the same voice says, "Call so and so." And here I am arguing again or talking back or whatever, and I say, "Well, I just talked to her. I'm not calling her again." And it wouldn't go away. I kept washing dishes and I kept refusing. Finally, I got upstairs and I was getting ready for bed and it was loud like a bugle blowing in my ear. You need to call. And I pick up the phone. I said, this is crazy, but I'm going to do it. I pick up the phone. I call and I said, I know we just talked, but this voice keeps telling me to call you. And she starts crying. She was having such a hard time. She was throwing up in the sink. And she said at that moment, she said, God, I need someone to talk to. And the phone rang. And it was me. Oh. Those are the discerning moments I get. And that's how I know God's voice. And I know when he tells me things. And members you know, of our church will tell, they say they don't talk to me because I am discerning and it scares them. Mm. So that's one of my gifts.
0: It, it's super interesting uh, and and a little funny. A, a buddy of mine just called me. Actually, you know him from United, maybe. Rosario Picardo, who's the dean oh, of the Apple. Oh, yeah, chapel.
1: His, his wife is in my class this year.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, Roz... Uh, Roz called me the other day and he said, Tony, I was washing dishes and God told me to give you a message. And so he, he called me and uh, and shared that message with me. It's it, it's a private message, so like, right. but like, uh, I, I what's clear to me is that God speaks to people when they're doing the dishes,
1: <laughs> he does. He absolutely. Does. Telling, you, and I've just had many episodes like that, yeah, I remember just fighting, not wanting to come to the preaching ministry, because I knew the rejection I was gonna experience. And finally, with all of the, all of a sudden I was trying to convince myself I didn't hear God. And I remember what my son was suffering from some sort of medical issue where his, his follicle in his hair grew and infected. And he had this knot on his head the size of a ping pong ball and it wouldn't go away. We tried every antibiotic. And finally, the doctor called me and we had become friends. She said, maybe I've tried everything. There's one more drug I can try, but it's for tuberculin patients and it has some nasty side effects. And she said, you have to be home. And I was being, I was going to have to travel. I was working with, uh, uh, uh in corporate at the time. Mm. So I was traveling a lot. And I remember saying, okay, just let him get the medicine, let him get the prescription. I'll tell him to hold on until I get back. Long story short, I looked up and said, okay, Lord, I know you told me to do this, and I'm just needing... I was Gideon, okay? Right. Dry please, wet please. And I finally said, if this is really you, I need you to heal his head without you know the need for antibiotics. He had had... She tried draining it, everything. It was less than four or five days. I called. I let him know I'm in Cleveland. At that point, my son says, you know, I said, do you go to the doctor? He says, yes. And I said, well, did she give you the medicine? He said, no, because he doesn't know. My children don't know this story to this day. <laughs> Nobody knows this story. And I said, well, what about your scalp? What happened? What are you going to do? He said, mom, it's healed. I said, what do you mean it's healed? Because the pediatrician thought, you know, the hair won't grow back. We'll have surgically, you know, pull the scalps, make sure it doesn't show. He said, it's healed. He hasn't had a problem with it since.
0: Won't he no do problem. it?
1: Yeah, won't he do it? Praise so, God. You know, knowing that God can heal anything and he can rescue us from anything. He knows we're going to go through hard times. He knows there are going to be things that try to snuff the total life out of us. But what he's saying is, I've overcome the world. There are things I can do that the world can never do.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to me. I, I love the testimony of your faith. And one of the things that has really... As, as I hear you talking about this, I'm like, man, what an incredible witness. And, um, and yet, like, there's part of this where you're, um, you're an African American female in in a predominantly male world, a white male world that, you, you know, in the midst of, of one of the biggest, um, you know, racially tenuous times of my lifetime, at least, and uh, you're writing on a topic that most people don't want to talk about. Right. So, I mean, like, I'm thinking to myself, could you, could you pick a harder path? How how do you lean in? How do you lean into the discomfort um, in in these kind of moments? Because it's, I I just, I can't imagine that it's easy.
1: You know, God get Oh, I I can tell you exactly. He's telling me why. (laughs) Um, I remember praying not too long ago that God give me his heart. Mm. And I know that's why I'm able to do it. I really now I'm getting to okay. God really cares about people. And in giving me his heart, I care about people. I don't care your position or your social economic class or I don't care about that. What I care about that you're okay. Mm. And he's allowed me to influence or have influence or speak into the lives of from well, business professionals, athletes, I mean, all of these individuals, and they don't see my color. They see someone who loves God and is intentional in her uh, actions and in her attitude about it. You know, I don't see myself as that African-American female unless someone points it out. Usually when someone engage me, engages me in a conversation of spirituality, color disappears. Sure. I think they, I know they see me. And the conversation I had this morning, this guy's of you know, two or three time Super Bowl winner with rings and all of that stuff. And when we're talking, he's not that. He's a person that's asking questions and trying to understand. And so uh, being able to love people like Jesus loves them, like God loves us, that's what gets me through all of that. And it's kind of like, and if they don't hear you, shake the dust from under your feet. You have to keep moving, you know, and everybody's not going to listen to me. You know, you're know you going to reach people I can't. I'm going to reach people you can't. But the whole goal is, are we leading them to Christ?
0: I, I love the way you say that. Love people the way Jesus loved them. There's probably somebody listening right now, and as a matter of fact, I know that there is, who feels like they're really far away from that. What's the first piece of, what? what's the first step in, in a thousand steps to love people the way Jesus loved them?
1: First step... Is see your own your own sinfulness, your mm. own uh, inability to do anything without the power of God. See that you're weak. That that that, that your
2: strength,
1: you, our His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Accept the weakness. Accept that you know that without Him, there's nothing we can do.
0: Oh, well, that makes perfect sense, and, and it matches what Jesus preached, right? First message out of the, first message, and Jesus comes out of the wilderness. What's the first thing he say? Repent and believe. Repent and believe, right? Humble yourself before me and believe. Um, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Tell me, what, a year from now, what are we celebrating about this workbook and how God used it?
1: A year from now. I'd like to believe that people will come will stop hiding. Mm. That there will be a harvest of people that say, you know what? I'm no longer hiding behind societal doors that says I can't be who I am. I'm going to be who God made me to be all of the vulnerabilities, the warts and whatever, but I'm going to live a full life. And so what that looks like to me is that we're going to have more individuals seeking Christ, more individuals in our church that are willing to work, more individuals in the workforce, because m- my ministry is a non-for-profit business. Um, and so I'd like to be able to see more people in the workplace acknowledging that I have to work as if I'm working for the Lord and knowing that then I can be whoever I am, knowing that God will continue continue to mold me into the person I'm supposed to be. And and so. I I would hope that a year from now in our churches, we would have people stand up and say, I too suffered from that. Let's get together, let's talk about it. Or going and facilitating and giving guidance to those who may be still reluctant to to talk about it, to begin to have dialogue. I I remember going to Poland um, um, my last year of graduate school. And we went there to bridge Jewish-Christian relations post-Holocaust and it was a priest that was compelled to do this because during the holocaust they were it was said that the catholic church could have helped a lot more than they did by you know hiding some of the individuals that were killed and so the relations in poland were so 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 bad that the jewish individual jewish people there would not identify themselves they would fit in because they were afraid of what would happen again so mm. his whole goal was to bridge that and the reason he he did it that way. He invited just two schools from different countries. Um, Xavier was uh, University was one of the schools that was invited to that, and we listened to various uh, theses about it, but the bottom line became, for him, it was how, let's have dialogue, and I think that's the key. A year from now, I'd like to see more dialogue about these issues, because think about it, Tony, uh, Pastor Tony, think about it the shootings in the schools, the shootings in the workplace, all this stuff that's going on that maybe when when I grew up, I didn't hear a lot about shooting in school. I didn't hear anything about that. I would like to think that, you know, we can bring that back into the environment. I think there should still be prayer in school. I think there should be something that, and make it voluntary, make it so that you don't have to go, but for those of you who are Christian and you wanna be a part of this, come, you know, participate in this. So I'd like to see it open up and, in fact, invite people like myself who are willing to talk about it and say, yes, I've experienced that. It's kind of like, I go back to Brent Brown when she talked about vulnerability. She thought her power was in knowing and not acting as if there was something she didn't know. I'm paraphrasing and summarizing it in my understanding. And what she's saying is, no, when you pull back the veil, when you take down the wall, there is your power. Mm. I, I reference Robin Roberts. She always says her mother used to say to her that the newscaster and um, on ABC world news, I think it is. Um, she said, her mother used to say, make your mess, your message. And for me, <laughs> panic, anxiety, depression, that's my mess. And so I <laughs> needed my message and I didn't even know, you know, that was uh, I, I was going to even use that, but those are the people that as I was writing, God revealed to me. So, that you could bridge society and your spiritual world and you see how they intertwine and i i just think that there is such an when you think of 18 plus million people
0: that's incredible
1: that it's amazing and then think of the children that are born in those families of those 18 million people
0: yeah it's it's scary
1: extremely extremely it's
0: scary so i i know my listeners are going to want to follow you and uh, to keep up with all that god is doing in your ministry Where can they get a copy of the book and where can they, what's the best place to connect with you on the interwebs?
1: Okay. So to get a copy of the book, you can go to amazon.com. Okay. Type in caught in the undertow or um, God's uh, rescue from anxiety, depression and panic is, is what it will say. Or if you just type in my name, Mamie Johnson um, you'll see several books that I have out there. I, I like this one the best, always your last one you like the best because you learn some things along the way. Um, so going to Amazon.com is one way you can go to my website at MamieJohnsonMinistries.org, And in fact, my web, the front page, my homepage, you can purchase the book right from there. It'll take you directly to Amazon.com. Okay. Yeah. Or, um, and to contact me, you can go to maybe Johnson ministries at gmail.com and uh, send me a message. If, if you'd like to have more discussion or, you know, want me to come in and speak to your groups or organizations or whatever, you can go there. So that's awesome. And, you and you're on Facebook. Yeah. Also.
0: And you're also really active on Instagram. You're, you, you got, you got some new things happening over there on the gram and I love it.
1: Still new. <laughs> yeah. I'm still working on it.
0: I uh, love it. Okay. The last question I always love to ask people is an advice question. And so uh, I want to take you back to a very specific moment in your life. I want to take you back to January. 1st, 1990, right? So you had your born again experience. If you could go back in that moment and talk to the younger version of yourself, what's the one piece of advice you would give?
1: Okay. So it was December, 1990. So it was January 1st, 1991.
0: 91, right. I forgot to round up.
1: Right. What, <laughs> what I would say to my younger self was, is, or was, You really didn't have to worry about all of the things you experienced. Mm. I was always with God was always with you. And the reason you've gone through so much, because I have asked the question lately, why did I go through so much? And God answered me and He said, Because I knew you could handle it.
2: Mm.
1: The interesting thing is this. I think going through some of the situations that I went through, some of the heartaches, and I hardly touch on it in that book. You have no idea. I think it made me more compassionate to people that struggle and that suffer. Because sometimes we are, uh, you know, it's like walking in someone else's shoes. When you walk in someone else's shoes, you begin to understand them a whole lot better. You begin to understand um, the pitfalls and or uh, the things that may seek to snuff out their life. So I would tell my younger self, it's gonna be okay. You're gonna get through this. And there are gonna be so many people that are gonna benefit from the heartache and the pain that you've experienced in your life. Mm. That's what I would tell her.
0: Praise God. Praise God. That's awesome.
1: I love the Lord.
0: Pastor, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. I know that you've blessed so many of our listeners. I deeply appreciate you.
1: You know, Pastor Tony, I know we've just met, but I tell you, I feel like I have this connection with you. Um, I thank you for allowing me to, to speak to your followers and, um, for me to be able to share my love for God and my love for God's people. And so I feel like I have another brother.
0: Amen, amen. God bless you. What an incredible conversation with Mamie. I think that she's got such a voice for us in a season like this. I really appreciated the way she talked about her anxiety, her depression, her panic, and how she fought back against that. I also think that there's this season right now that all of us find ourselves in to lean into the supernatural part of who God is. So I hope you found this conversation uplifting. I hope you found it uh, encouraging as we head into 2021. I know God is going to do some amazing things. Thank you again for being a part of the Reclamation community. I know that there's no way that I could do this without you. So thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for sharing the episode everywhere that you share it and for leaving the ratings and review. It does mean the absolute world to me. Hope you guys have a great week, and I look forward to connecting you guys next week. The best way to make sure you don't miss an episode, hit that subscribe button. See you guys real soon.